All right, let's open up our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Philippians 1, verses 27 through 30. Philippians is in the New Testament. Kind of getting towards the back, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And so if you can find Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you should be able to find uh, Philippians 1. Before we get started, I want to say two personal notes. Um, first of all, yes, thank you so much for your prayers, uh, for the surgical procedure that um, I was forced to endure <laughs> a few weeks ago. Um, it has been a slow recovery, and um, uh, it, it, it looked like things were on the right track, and then we had a major setback um, on Friday and into yesterday. I um, called a, a doctor, and it seems that that physician gave some absolutely spot-on diagnosis and remedies and things seem to be back on the right track again and I can I can't tell you how many times I've praised the Lord for that doctor um, over the last few hours and so um, thank you for the continued prayers and uh, hopefully uh, recovery will go uh, more quickly than not um, second personal note uh, as Pastor Chris mentioned um, beginning uh, tomorrow Danielle and I are taking a two-week staycation. Um, uh, the kids, the older kids, are going to be going to South Carolina, where my parents have a lake house, and the younger kids are going to be going to Colorado to be with the in-laws. Usually, my wife and I, uh, for vacation, go away, away, uh, but this year, given the really critical phase that our house um, um, remodel or repair is in, we felt we needed to be closer to home to attend to some of those details. And so we're going to be sticking around locally here. Um, just two notes about that. I've, I've never taken a staycation as a pastor. Um, so first of all, if you see us in town, pretend we don't exist. No, <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> I'm teasing. Please say hello. We're, we're not personas non grata. Um, please talk to us um, and uh, fellowship with us. Um, we're, we are going to be worshiping elsewhere on the next two Sundays. And that's not because we don't want to be with you. It's simply to try to make our time as relaxing and uh, vacation-y as possible, if you want to put it that way. And, uh, um, and so there, there's no, nothing in it besides just wanting to relax to the maximum capabilities that we have while staying close. And so, um, so thank you for praying for us while we're away. You guys are in very good hands with Pastors Dom and Chris, and uh, you, you will be cared for very well. Okay? If you have any questions about that, I'm happy to chat with you about it after the service, and uh, we can go from there. Okay? I'm resetting my timer. I wanted to preach for 30 minutes, but I took five, so I'm not going to count that. Okay? All right. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I'd mentioned last time that we were going to be out of the book of Exodus for a bit, and... The Lord has put, um, through the last several months, I would say, cultivating a burden in my heart um, that I think Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, does a good job putting words to the affections that God has been stirring within. Let's look at verse 27. Paul says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your 
manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now that's a mouthful. We'll explain what some of that means in a moment. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may, let's see here, I, I lost my place, I may hear of you that are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray, and then we'll tackle this text together. Father, would you give us grace to know your mind? Would you give us grace to understand this passage in light of what you've been doing here at Fellowship Bible Church? So give us eyes to see, but most importantly, give us souls eager to cultivate a culture of gospel worthiness. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, by way of introduction, I want to show you some, of, some points on a slide that I think are visible signs of God's blessing of Fellowship Bible Church. If you were to trace our history for the last few years, there's a lot to be excited about and no buts to temper them. There's a lot to be excited about. Um, just, these are just visible signs of things that God has done. First, our attendance is at or above pre-leveled, pre-COVID levels, and our giving has far exceeded pre-COVID numbers. And those are just two little dots on a graph, two little data points that are tremendous blessings. It's a tremendous blessing to see so many new and different folks. It's a tremendous blessing to have the means available to do projects for the Lord. And you guys are to be commended for that, but I think we would all acknowledge that the Lord is responsible for those two wonderful blessings. We've seen salvation and gospel exposure the last few years, and that is reaching sort of an all-time high. What do I mean by that? I can't remember. I've been pastoring here for uh, 13 years now, and I can't remember seeing more unsaved people visit us on a week-in and week-out basis. We've seen a lot of those people accepting Christ as their Savior, We've seen a lot of folks from the community coming and taking part of the gospel, hearing it, understanding it. It's not um, combative, and that's a tremendous blessing. And I, I hear more and more reports from people who uh, are having gospel conversations, and it seems that our gospel influence in the community is uh, crescendoing, and that's a blessing from the Lord that we should be very happy for. In the last three years, we've had three weddings. In my first 10 years here, we had one wedding, and now we've had three in three years. And that's a blessing, isn't it? So, Zoe, don't be getting any thoughts, okay? You're too young. We don't need to have four and four years just for you, okay? I can wait a few extra years for you to wait for the right fellow to come along, okay? Now, it's a tremendous blessing to see God bringing young people here and bringing young people together. Um, let's see here. We've had... Uh, multiple ministry leadings. Uh, one of our young couples just left our church, unfortunately for us, but fortunately for them, to go get training. That's actually a sign of God's blessing when he starts sending people away from your church for training. It's a tremendous blessing. 
And I've had conversations with two others who feel the Lord might be leading them in a ministry direction. And again, that's a tremendous, tremendous blessing that the Lord has been giving us. I don't know if you've noticed, if you are a lady who works in the nursery, you've noticed that the nursery is full. And that, too, is a blessing. And if I could give an encouragement to some of you young moms, that there's still room in there, okay? Um, <laughs> there, y- you, can, you can contribute to the chaos in a very good way. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's a tremendous blessing. Our parsonage is 99% complete. I would like to say it's 100, but Pastor Dom might disagree and say there's a few little things. So I've reserved 1%, okay? Um, and it's 99% complete. And praise the Lord, about 70% paid for. Um, we, we weren't sure it was going to be that paid for when we started on this process, but we've got a little bit of mortgage left, but man, the Lord provided. And, and we did build it. We did our full build out. We didn't, um, we, we had some options to reduce the cost by building a little less, but we did the full Monty. And we still, the Lord has provided about 70% of that. And isn't that a tremendous blessing? Um, and it, it's just been wonderful. Well, what now? These are, I, I could probably list many more, but I see a lot of nodding heads. I think we're all agreeing that we've been seeing some tremendous points of blessing from the Lord, and it's been a wonderful few years of growth and blessing and development. But that begs the question, what do we do now? What now? I think it would be tempting for us to sort of settle in to a long stretch of well-earned rest, peace, prosperity. And those would be from the Lord. Those are are byproducts of God's blessing. But when that sort of rest develops into a church that resembles more of a social club, then something has gone a little awry. Because the church, according to Philippians chapter 1, 27 through 30, is an organic thing that moves itself forward. The instant a church begins to sit back on its laurels, it begins to die. The church to live needs locomotion. It needs this forward striving together. This last week, when things were looking good, my wife told me that she knew things were looking good because she saw me moving. I was moving around. In fact, she was griping at me because she felt I was moving too much. And maybe she was right. But movement is a sign of health. It's a sign of life. And especially in church, it's a sign of God's blessing and forward momentum is required to keep the life that a church has. Does that make sense, everybody? So let's prove that to you from Scripture. Okay, let's look at Philippians chapter 1, and we've already read verses 27 through 30. I'd like to explain a little bit of this letter before we dive too far into the meaning of 27 through 30, just so we can get a little context. So let's talk about this Philippian letter. Philippi is a city in the Roman world. It's a very populated city that took great pride in its Romanness. 
The only city more Roman than Philippi was probably Rome. And it was a city of former Roman soldiers who founded it. They took great pride in their civic responsibility and their civic duty. There weren't very many Jewish people there. As was seen when Paul initially went there, there weren't even enough Jewish men to make a synagogue. This was a thoroughly Roman town. And they prided themselves in their Roman civic responsibilities and duties. So Paul, when he arrived in Philippi, got off to a rather slow start. He only had one convert, a lady named Lydia. She was baptized. Turns out she was well-to-do. She sold purple cloth. Now, I'm not a person who deals in purple cloth, but apparently back then there was money in it. And she prevailed upon Paul and Silas and said, come stay with me. And Paul did for some time. There was in that city a slave girl who was... hurt. She was hurt badly by the devil and by practitioners of false religion. These people took advantage of her and they got rich off of her. And she was astounded when the Apostle Paul came to town and she began following them around the city. And she was saying out loud and in a very annoying way day after day, These are servants of the Most High God. She was making a show of it. She was diminishing the gospel. And the whole time was both demon-possessed and being hurt and taken advantage of by these practitioners of false religion. We don't know what that false religion was, but it was shameful and harmful, and they were getting rich off of her. And one day, Paul had had enough And he cast out the demon that was inside of this girl. And when he did, the men who were taking advantage of her saw that their gain was gone and there was great backlash at this bankrupting of their corrupt religion. And when they saw that they were hurt in the most sensitive organ in their bodies, which happened to be their wallet, They got very angry. And they beat Paul. They beat Silas. They whipped him. They flogged him. Paul was a Roman citizen. This was very illegal. And when Paul said, you flogged a Roman citizen, the city grew very afraid and sent Paul away with apologies, hat in hand. They realized that they'd done something terrible, but Paul had to leave. He couldn't stay. Later in Paul's life, he finds himself in jail again because he said that he refused to allow the gospel to be only a Jewish thing. It would not be limited to the law. It would not be limited to circumcision. And the Jews found themselves furious and threw Paul in jail And now Paul is in jail and he's writing the Philippian people a letter and he's telling them, I'm in jail for your benefit. I'm in jail for your joy. I'm in jail because I love you. And he tells them from his perspective in jail, he says, I don't know if I'm going to get out of jail. 
I might die in jail. But look at chapter 1 of Philippians verse 4. He says, whether I live or die, I want you to know, he says that for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I'm sorry, I said verse 5, that's verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And then in verse 25, he says, even though I would rather be with Christ, he wants me to remain with you for your joy and for your furtherance in the gospel. Paul is essentially saying, whether I live or whether I die, you as a church have a responsibility. And I don't want you to change your actions based on my, the outcome of this imprisonment for me. What is your obligation, Paul tells them, is asking them in a sense. What is your obligation as Christians, whether I live or whether I die? Do we see the background here? Paul planted their church, was chased out of town. Now he's in jail. Now he's writing to these people from jail. And he's telling them, whether I live or die, you have a responsibility. And here it is. Here is your Christian responsibility as a church, Paul says it's this. Whether I, live or, whether I live or die, here is what you must be. You must be worthy gospel citizens. You must be worthy gospel citizens. And that worthy citizenship has three qualifications. And we'll do it in these three words. Worthy citizenship is unified, fortified, and fearless. Worthy citizenship is unified, fortified, and fearless. So let's take one step out of the text very quickly and ask ourselves. We've seen all these signs, these visible signs of God's blessing on Fellowship Bible Church. What now is our responsibility as kingdom citizens? It is a worthy gospel citizenship where we draw together in unity where we fortify ourselves for forward action and where we fearlessly allow the gospel to run forward, not worried one whit about what the world may say or think or do in response. That's our calling. That's our command. That, those are our marching orders in the face of God's blessing. Let's see how Paul develops this for the Philippian people. He says, I want you to be worthy citizens. I Look at verse 27. This is a mouthful. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. There are two very important words that the Apostle Paul uses. Look at your Bibles very quickly and look at that word, worthy, worthily. What, is, what does worthy mean? We have so many different ideas of what worthy means. We, if, if I were to say to you, write down some synonyms right now for the word worthy, you might write down righteous or holy or good living or kind or loving. And I want you to know that all of those would be mistaken. All of those would be off because those are consequences of worthiness. 
it doesn't describe what being worthy actually is. Worth is this idea of worth, this Greek idea of worth is something that's comparable or corresponding to or fitting. Okay? Something that's fitting. For example, we're about to start the high school athletics season, and you'll see high school athletes walking around with t-shirts that say things, benign phrases that mean a lot to them that say something like tradition. <laughs> You've been in that school three years, pal. How much tradition can you get? You know. I, hey, when I was a high school athlete, I believe you me, tradition was a very important word to me. Well, there was a there was a code of conduct expected from those who were athletes. Or, for example, if, if you're a Marine, they instill in the Marines a code of conduct, whether you're on base or off base. Being a Marine is a lifestyle. It's fitting. If you do something wrong and you get dismissed from the military, it was for conduct unbecoming. It's behavior that doesn't fit the call. And here, worth is corresponding to, fitting. And then he uses this word, let your manner of life. Let your manner of life. He uses a special word here. This is a word invented by Plato, of all people. This word has a huge philosophical background to it. It's the word that we get political from, the body politic. And it means a way of living. In fact, believe it or not, the New Living Translation gives the most accurate translation for this word. The New Living, which is a paraphrase, and they say it like this. They say worthy citizenship is you must live as citizens of heaven. You must live as citizens of heaven. Now, I, I skipped over something in my notes. My apologies. We are to be worthy of the gospel in every manner of life. What is the gospel? Well, again, Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So let's, let's, let's put these ideas together. Worth, gospel, and citizenship. This politic, not in the sense of our politics, Republicans, Democrats, but in this way of life, this calling to an order, okay? Let's put these ideas together of citizenship, gospel, and worth. What is Paul doing? Paul is commending an entire life ethic that is informed by and corresponds to salvation by grace through faith. That's what he's saying. Every decision in life that you make needs to correspond to salvation by grace through faith. Every money-saving aspiration that you have needs to correspond to salvation by grace through faith. Every home-building initiative needs to correspond to salvation by grace through faith. Every interaction that you have with other people needs to be fitting 
needs to correspond to, needs to be equal to the measure of salvation by grace through faith. Salvation by grace through faith becomes an anthem that affects the way that we parent, it affects the way that we work, the way that we save, the way that we minister, the way that we live. Have I mentioned parent, the way that we parent? The way that we interact with others, the way that we minister in the community, the way that we serve others around us the way we tip when we buy a coffee that's too expensive anyway. Every decision, everything goes back to what would the gospel say? And that's what Paul is getting at. He hones in on three words. You say, wow, Pastor Greg, that's big a life that at every point connects to that center. That's big. It is. Paul knows it's big. But he hones in on three aspects, three points that I'd like to firm up for us now. And it's these three words, unified, striving, and fearless. What does a life that corresponds to salvation by grace through faith look like? Well, it's a church body that's unified standing firm in one spirit. Ephesians 6.13 says that having done all to stand, stand therefore. This idea has the line, has the idea of holding the line in hand-to-hand combat. We covered this idea when we were in the book of Ephesians. The way that Romans fought their battles was shoulder-to-shoulder conflict. A shield in one hand that didn't protect you, it protected your mate and a sword, and your mate's shield protected you. The only way to endanger everybody was to break your line and run. And Paul says, get in line as Christians and take your post and stand there. You might remember that from Ephesians 6. That's what Paul's saying, unified in one spirit. He says, standing firm in the Spirit. The NIV puts a capital S on the word Spirit, and I think that's right. It could go either way. The ESV hasn't done anything wrong by translating it the way that they have. But it's a, we're brought together, we are unified by the Spirit of the living God, the one faith, one birth, one Spirit. The same Spirit works in all of our hearts The same Spirit drew us all to Christ and the same Spirit is sanctifying us. We find this unity. We find this desire to stand with each other and fight for each other, unified through the ministry of the Spirit of God. Togetherness. I know I've mentioned this before, but from time to... But we frequently have folks who come and start making themselves a, a part of Fellowship Bible Church. They're, they're, they're checking us out. It's like a dating relationship. They want to have a few dates and get to know us, and we can get to know them. And that's good. I'm not, I'm not um, diminishing that in any way. There does, however, come a time when the dating portion of that relationship needs to end, and a more serious commitment needs to begin. Perhaps 
you, uh, when you were, say, in college, you had a girlfriend who had a boyfriend for five or six years, and you may have said to your girlfriend, he needs to get serious or get out of here, you know? No more of this fooling around, playing around, playing games. Well, we all understand that there's a natural progression. And I would, I would advise anybody who's getting to know us to make it the goal not to leave it at the getting to know phase, but to think in terms of, is this a body that I want to partner with and stand in that line with? Do I trust them with my life? And if I do, then what's holding me back? Okay. The healthiest, safest place for you is to be connected with a body of believers like that. And my advice to any person is to find the place that can be that for them and stand there. Number two, we're told to strive. Now, this word strive, I, I don't know that the English translation strive fully brings out the idea of the word. It's a hard word to translate here in Philippians 1.27. Striving side by side. When we use the word striving, we think more in terms of fighting, and that is part of it. This word actually comes from the arena. This is a gladiatorial word. When soldiers were thrown into the arena for fake battle, they would advance across the arena locked shoulder to shoulder. Or for example, I had mentioned before the fall sports schedule is coming upon us. When football teams practice, the offensive line practices moving together in unison staying together, staying, keeping their correct spacing. That's almost as important as how hard they hit somebody. Staying in that formation together and moving across the field, linked together, moving forward so that the ball can be advanced down the field. That, that's the notion of this word. In other words, Paul is saying that a uh, a Christian ethic that's connected to salvation by grace through faith is advancing into enemy territory. It's not just sitting back and standing. It's standing and marching ahead. It's together, unified. And that doesn't happen by accident. If if it does, one person steps out, everybody else steps back, and that person is now in danger. This is unified, shoulder to shoulder, lockstep, predetermined, people advancing the gospel into areas where it was not before. Advancing, striving, that's what Paul is advocating. The issue fought over is the advance of faith in other people's hearts. That's what Paul is wanting. He's wanting the Philippian church, he's wanting Fellowship Bible Church to stride out together to see faith advanced in other people's hearts. Now, I have a question for you. 
what happens when a church community refuses to stay politely inside its four walls? Is the community at large generally excited about that? <laughs> Not generally. This is what happened in Philippi. The Apostle Paul had a growing church, and they started making advances into the pagan community and affecting their religion. And that community flamed. The Apostle Paul, later on, started seeing advances into the Jewish community, into the Greek community, and that flamed. Paul says to the church at Philippi, you know that when that happens, there will be resistance. But kingdom citizenship, gospel citizenry, laughs at the face of those fears and moves forward anyway. It's fearless. Okay? He says, I want you to move forward fearlessly. Look at verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. So Paul says fearless. This is a cavalry word, the word that he's using, fearless. Now, I'm not a, a horseman. Um, um, I, I marvel at the work that horsemen can do in breaking horses and whatnot. In ancient armies, the horse master was one of the highest-ranking officers because he had to train those horses to charge fearlessly into a line. Horses are not naturally courageous animals. They tend to rear their legs and break and run. And when the horse in fear rears up, it endangers the army that has the horses. <laughs> it becomes a self-defeating thing. And the word of a timid horse was a dangerous word. Timid horses could not be used in fighting. They had to be sent to the back for plow work or menial jobs. And when Paul says fearless, he's talking about a horse. He's using a word for a horse that doesn't rear up in the face of danger. A, 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 a cavalry horse that's been tried and when they they hear the booms and the, the clashes of metal banging together and the war shouts and the fights that that horse keeps its line and keeps moving ahead, fearless to the dangers around him. That's what Paul's talking about here with this cavalry word, fearless. It says, boldly clinging to God and disregarding threats, boldly clinging to God. So what is Paul saying here to the Philippian church? I'm in jail. This isn't the first time I've been in jail. <laughs> we know from church history that it wouldn't be the last time that he was in jail. And whether I live or whether I die, God has a job for you. And God's job for you is kingdom citizenship gospel citizenry 
What does that look like? It's a life where the church body in every decision says, what would salvation by grace through faith dictate? As we ask and answer those questions, Paul wants us to do so as one. He wants us to do so making plans to move it forward outside of the four walls of our facility. And he wants us to do so without fear of what others might say or think about our gospel citizenry. That's Paul's commission for the church. And it's Paul's commission for Fellowship Bible Church. Now I'd like to make two applications very quickly. You might be asking yourself very justifiably, okay, pastor, I see that. What specifically do you have in mind? <laughs> um, let me answer that. I don't have anything specific in mind yet. I have some ideas floating around in my head. And over the last couple weeks, not having too much ministry outlet, those ideas have gone in helpful, maybe unhelpful directions. I don't know. The doctors did give me some pretty strong painkillers, so maybe they were unhelpful in some ways. All that to say, I don't have anything too specific. I think it would be enough right now for us to meditate and think hard and first get the principle down what it would look like at Fellowship Bible Church to cultivate a culture of gospel citizenship. What would it look like if a church, Fellowship Bible Church specifically, tried to start creating a culture of gospel citizenry? What shape would that take? I think it's enough to get the principle down and begin meditating and thinking about that. Secondly, I want to encourage creativity. I think... Um, I think pastors often, justifiably so, can get a bad rap as idea squashers. <laughs> you have an idea and the pastor says, oh, that, that won't work or this won't work or the calendar won't make room for it, whatever. Um, and, and, and maybe I have done some of that in the past myself. I don't know. I don't want to be an idea squasher. I want our own people to be as creative as they can be. And I want you to dream a little bit about what advance would look like through this culture of gospel citizenry. And if you have an idea, I want to hear it. I'm serious. Think it through. Get an idea. And let's see what the Lord might do with it. I think that sort of ingrown creativity ingrown is not the right word grassroots creativity is the best kind because it emerges from the real needs that we're facing sometimes other ministries will have ideas and will say well maybe we can try that here 
but that might not exactly scratch our itch here. But when we are creative enough to come up with a gospel of Ant's idea, it's typically hitting the nail on the head for the needs of our people and the needs of our community. So I'd like to encourage creativity. Let's share them with each other and prepare the ground for advance. Okay? Now, Philippians 1, 27 through 30. I hope you'll meditate on that over the next few weeks. As I said, I will be away um, here, but away in the next couple of weeks, and I'll be meditating on these things, and I'm excited to see how the Lord might lay some creativity on your hearts.